Good morning. We are here today to discuss Parshas Bishalach. Uh, the year is 2024. And the title for today's year is Amalek and Unprecedented Opportunity. As we know, Parshas Bishalach concludes with the story of Amalek. It's actually nine sentences at the end of the Parsha. We are not going to go into detail into those sentences, but we will very much talk about the concept of Amalek coming to attack, why now, and what we can apply from that lesson, that story, as a lesson for today. So this week, we have the privilege to continue to be sponsored for the entire month of Shabbat by our own Frida Greenbaum, in memory of her beloved parents, Anna, Benya, and Max, Matul Pinchas, Fegowitz. We're not sure if that's the right pronunciation. Frida hasn't connected. Yeah. Oh, we got it. Okay. Holocaust survivors who on a daily basis taught their family unconditional love, honor, humility, and respect for family, friends, and community. Anybody who knows uh, Frida feels the same, that she represents those traits incredibly well. Their commitment to Jewish traditions, open hearts, and home demonstrated their devotion to the survivor community. Eretz Yisrael, and also served as an inspiration to their children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. You know, it couldn't be more important today to remind ourselves of the communities that were built by the survivors and their understanding uh, of the importance of Torah education and Torah values as being the true future of the next generations. That's a recurring theme in our Shi'urim, and uh, as I mentioned, you know, Frida is really taking that torch forward by her participation in helping us organize our classes and I'm sure their entire family also represents these values. And we definitely wish their neshamos and aliyah. <clears throat> so there are major topics in this week's parsha, Parshas B'Shalach. Of course, we have the story of the Kriyas Yamsuf, the splitting of the Red Sea. This is the Torah reading <clears throat> that we do every holiday of Pesach on the seventh day of Pesach. And we're going to talk about a few sentences from the Shira. And then we're going to do just a bit of an overview summary uh, before we get into our questions. So here are some of the, I would say, highlights that we want to point out today from the Shira that will be pertaining to our discussion. So the Shira is chapter 15 in the Parsha. And the second sentence speaks of the glory of Hashem, and specifically the Jewish people singing to Hashem, recognizing Hashem as their salvation, and proclaiming, This is my God, and I will glorify Him. This is my God, and I will beautify Him. The God of my Father, and I exalt Him. <clears throat> the next sentence says, Hashem, Hashem Shemo, God is, a, so to speak, Person, man of war, God is his name, or Yudke Vavke is his name. Then a little bit later in the Shira, you have a sentence in sentence 11 that says, Who is like you? Hashem. Who is like you among the mighty ones? Hashem. Who is like you? Those that are exalted in holiness and that God is awesome and praiseworthy and he does wonders. Then a little bit further, we have 
that the nations of the world trembled and they were gripped with uh, also some form of trepidation, the dwellers of Pelashes, the Pelishtim, the Philistines. And then further, that then the mighty ones of Edom were stupefied and the powerful ones of Moab were also gripped with terror and the melted hearts, so to speak, of all the dwellers of Canaan. And the fear of Hashem fell upon all of them and everyone then basically bore witness to the fact, fact that God would lead the Jewish people to the promised land. And then sort of the last, second to last sentence, sort of the end of the Shira is, Hashem yimloch le'olam va'et. Hashem will rule forever and ever. That's the Shira, meaning specific points that we want to point out from the Shira, but it also gives us the general overview of recognizing the power, the might of Hashem, all the miracles that happened in Egypt and at the Red Sea, and how God has led his people ultimately to the promised land, and that the entire nations of the world became gripped with all forms of fear. Then the Torah talks about how the women also sang, but immediately after the Shira is over, Moshe causes the Jewish people to travel from the Sea of Reeds. They go out to the desert, and they go three days in the desert, and they do not find water. Now that's going to be an important point that we're going to come back to because the Talmud teaches us what it means that they couldn't find water. And then the people complained in a place called Mara, and the Hashem, Moshe screamed out to Hashem. Hashem showed him a piece of wood or a tree to throw into the water when the bitter water turned sweet. And Hashem said, listen, if the Jewish people will listen to all of the commandments, then all the evil or the the Mathala, the illnesses <coughs> that I put on Egypt, I will not put upon you because I am Hashem, your doctor. The Torah then says that the people came to a place called Elim and they had 12 springs of water and 70 date palm trees, 70 date palm trees, and they camped there. And then the Torah says that they traveled and the people complained about having food, by which point Hashem told them, that uh, Hashem said, I'm going to rain down for you heavenly bread, and you are going to collect it six days of the week, but not on the seventh day, and the various commandments associated with the man. And the Torah recounts that the man fell, the people called it man, and the people learned about not carrying on Shabbos, and the Torah describes a little bit more about the man. Then the Torah tells us that the people traveled to a place called Rafidim. Now, in terms of a timeline, as we mentioned earlier, the Shira, which is the seventh day of Pesach, is the 22nd of Nisan. Right prior to the story or the recounting of the Man, the Torah tells us, and now it has been a month since the people left Egypt, because the Torah tells us that they traveled and they came uh, to a, a desert scene on the 15th of Iyar. So that's one month after leaving Egypt. So the story of the man happens one month after leaving Egypt. So the splitting of the Red Sea, which is the seventh day of Pesach, 22nd of Nisan, and then a few weeks, three weeks after that, approximately is when they camp in Elim. They already had the bitter waters. Then they complain about the man, meaning the lack of food, and then they get the man. And then after that, 
again, the Jewish people have a problem with thirst and water. So now we are already 30 plus days into the journey in the desert. And in this place, they camp, uh, it's called Rifidim. They complain about water. And again, they are given water through Moshe actually hitting the rock uh, this time. Okay. That concludes this period in the desert. And the Jewish people then say, hey, is Hashem in our midst or not? And now comes Amalek. So the sentence that we read on Purim morning that deals with Amalek are these nine sentences here at the end of Parshas Beshalach. And when does Amalek come? Approximately six to seven weeks after the Jewish people are in the desert. Okay, that's the overview of the Parsha. Now, the end of the story of Amalek in the Torah here is that, of course, the Jewish people are successful in beating Amalek. The Torah says that Yehoshua weakened Amalek. Yehoshua was the main one to lead the Jewish people in battle at that time. And Hashem says to Moshe, listen, you have to write this in a book, this which Amalek did, and that I am going to wipe the memory of Amalek from the heaven. Moshe built an altar, and the Torah declares that Amalek is constantly in an eternal battle in a war against Hashem. It's really like Hashem battling Amalek, Midor Dor, from generation to generation. That's how the Parsha ends. So here are our questions. Number one, why indeed does Amalek come to attack the Jewish people only six to seven weeks after their exodus from Egypt? Now, the real kind of strength of this question is based on the fact that we know that Amalek comes at various points in history, starting with Esav, to threaten the existence of the Jewish people. Chazal tell us, uh, Balaturim says it explicitly, that the one that informed Pharaoh that the Jewish people were not going to come back to Egypt after the plague of the firstborn was Amalek. By Yugad Lamalach Mitzrayim, when it says that the king of Egypt was told that the nation ran away and that they would not return, that was actually told to Pharaoh by Amalek. Okay, that means that Amalek knows the moment that the Jewish people leave Egypt and, even critically more important, that the Jewish people will not return to Egypt and they even have time to tell the king of Egypt, hey, the Jewish people are not returning, according to that Chazal. So why are they waiting six or seven weeks to come attack? Seemingly, it would make more sense to attack the Jewish people right away if the uh, Egyptians are not bringing them back, but Amalek come and attack them. So you could say, well, they waited until after the splitting of the Red Sea, which is a week later. But as we just mentioned, this is approximately 30 to 40 days that the Jewish people are being left alone and not attacked by Amalek. And the question is why? And that's question number one. Question number two, what indeed is the reason for Amalek's instigation of a war against the Jewish people? Not unlike the age-old question of why does anti-Semitism exist? What is the reason for Hamas to attack the Jewish people? Number three question is according to the Gemara, the Talmud in Bechoros page 5a, the reason the Jewish people are vulnerable to Amalek 
is because they weakened themselves from the study of Torah before Amalek came to attack. Now, the problem with that is Amalek comes to attack before Mount Sinai ever happened, which means the Jewish people had not yet been given the Torah. And yet we're saying that the reason that the Jewish people are vulnerable and that they are able, so to speak, to get attacked by Amalek is because they weakened themselves from Torah. But they had not been given the Torah yet. So what does it mean they weakened themselves themselves from the Torah? Now, this question actually begins even earlier, which we're going to present as question number four. But obviously the question is, how could it be? Question number three is, how could it be that the Jewish people are being held accountable for weakening themselves from the study of Torah before they were ever given the Torah? And then question number four, which is even stronger, uh, is actually from the Dafyomi this week. When the Torah here, after immediately after the splitting of the Red Sea, describes that the Jewish people went three days and they did not find water, they traveled in the desert for three days, and they did not find water, which again is immediately after the splitting of the Red Sea, the Torah says, the Talmud says, and this is in... Uh, Babakama 82b, I think, that this is because the Jewish people could not find the Torah. They, they were lacking in the Torah. And because of this, Moshe and the prophets of that time instituted that with which we are all familiar, that every Monday, Thursday, and Shabbos, Jewish people need to read the Torah. Because otherwise, there could be a three-day gap when they would not actually have Torah study. And so therefore, there's a, an institution of the rabbis that the Jewish people should read the Torah on Mondays, Thursdays, on Shabbos. I said institution of the rabbis. I'm, I apologize. I mean institution of the prophets from the moment, meaning the three days after the splitting of the Red Sea. That's when that institution happened. Now, there are a lot of questions on this teaching of the Talmud. Number one is, you know, if Jewish people are obligated to learn Torah, they're obligated to learn Torah every day. In fact, every second that we can learn Torah and we don't learn Torah, you know, if we have the obligation, which very much devolves upon men for sure, is if we're able to learn Torah and we don't learn Torah, we're violating the commandment to learn the Torah. So why do we need this kind of institution that there should be a Torah reading? We're all obligated to learn the Torah every moment, all the time. But more importantly, as we mentioned before, is immediately after the splitting of the Red Sea, we had not yet received the Torah. So what does it mean that there's the Jewish people couldn't find the Torah and they were weakened? And so the prophets instituted, oh, the Jewish people have to, have to read Torah every week, three days during the week, and making sure that there's no three-day gap where the Torah is not recited. We didn't have the Torah at that point. Now, one of the reasons that this question is even more compelling than the question before is because in this place where it was instituted that Torah should be uh, studied and read, at that point, they were then given some mitzvos of the Torah. This is called Mara. And the rabbis tell us in Tractate Sanhedrin that the Jewish people were given commandment 10 mitzvos and Mara, Shabbos, uh, honoring one's parents, civil laws, what we call dinin, plus the seven Noahide laws. So according to this, 
it would actually um, kind of make sense that there could have been some sort of Torah at the time, but you can't say that they searched for three days and weren't able to, uh, you know, find the Torah, so to speak, for three days. They didn't get any Torah until after those three days that we know of. Even these three commandments plus the Noahide laws were only given in this place called Mara, seemingly three days later and after the miracle where the bitter waters turned sweet. So let's just recap our questions. Number one, why does Amalek not come immediately to attack the Jewish people, especially given this concept that's taught to us by the rabbis, that actually Amalek knew exactly when the Jewish people were leaving Egypt, and Amalek itself informed the king of Egypt, Pyro, that the Jewish people were not returning. So let them come and immediately attack, at least after the splitting of the Red Sea. Number two, why, in fact, does Amalek come to attack? The age-old question, what is the reason for instigating war with the Jewish people? And to embellish that question just a little bit, the Jewish people never had any designs on Amalek. They never had any plan to go attack the people, of, go, you know, vanquish the people of Amalek. Question number three, we know that the rabbis tell us that we became vulnerable to Amalek because we were weakening ourselves in Torah study means we weren't holding on to the Torah the way that we needed. The problem is that we didn't really get the Torah until after that. And even if you want to argue somehow that that refers to the mitzvahs of Mara, but that itself is a question, because the rabbis tell us, and this is question number four, the rabbis tell us that the people, when they were searching for water immediately after the splitting of the Red Sea, were not able to find Torah. And that's when it became instituted that there should be Torah recited on Monday, Thursday, and Shabbos. What Torah was that? They didn't get any Torah until after that in Mara, and really, much more uh, credibly, they received the Torah at Mount Sinai. So those are our four questions. And so what I'd like to do is <clears throat> just do a little bit of a brief introduction onto what is the concept of Torah, and therefore how it's possible for these Gemaros to make sense that the Jewish people are somehow being held accountable at this juncture in history before Mount Sinai for some form of Torah study. And the more I think about it, uh, the more meaningful it is to me, the more it's helping me in my daily life to deal with everything uh, with which we as a nation are dealing today. Torah was created in order to afford finite man the ability to achieve genuine connection with Hashem, and Hashem, of course, is infinity, right? Hashem is obviously, you know, unknowable, but one of the main things that we know is that Hashem is the source of everything that exists. Hashem is the only true infinity and therefore true reality. The real fabric of existence is Hashem. Everything that is connected to Hashem can have existence. Everything that is disconnected from Hashem either immediately ceases to be or soon after ceases to be the only things that are permanent and have infinite existence are the things that are connected to Hashem. Torah is what gives man this ability to have that connection because of the wisdom of the Torah, because of the representation that Hashem's wisdom is meant to take root in us is what gives us permanence and ultimate existence. Now, in addition to the words of the Torah, 
as given to us from Mount Sinai is the concept of man's ability to achieve this connection. And it's for this reason, and we've spoken about this before, we can talk about Torah existing even before the Torah is formally given. Because the idea of a relationship with Hashem exists before the formal Torah is given at Mount Sinai, which is why most notably the one who creates the first personal permanent relationship with Hashem is Abraham. And that's why the years of the Torah are considered to be started with Abraham teaching other people to connect to Hashem. The sentence, and that's the idea that Hashem allows for people to transform and Avraham and Sarah make the souls of Haran through connecting them to Hashem that transforms these people. And so therefore we see that Torah is ultimately about changing people based on their having genuine connection to Hashem. So that's also why we always refer to the Torah as Eitz Chaim. Eitz Chaim Hi Ba is talking about the Torah. It's a tree of life, Eitzhayimhi, to those that grasp onto it. Or like we say in the blessings of the Torah, the Chaye Olam that the life of forever Hashem has planted within us through the giving of the Torah. And so therefore the giving of the Torah on Shavuos really means that Hashem gave us permanent access to this relationship. The ball is in our court. We can determine that we definitely, yes, can have this kind of relationship with Hashem, all we need to do is meaningful Torah study. So the idea that, or in other words, the concept that Torah means connection to Hashem is that when we are connecting to Hashem in a palpable way, that is really a Torah experience. And so very simply put, the most palpable actualization of a connection with Hashem prior to Mount Sinai is the splitting of the Red Sea. Very clear, as the sentences that I quoted earlier. This is my God, and I will beautify him. The rabbis tell us that the Jewish people were literally able to point to Hashem, which is a language that the rabbis use in the ultimate future. The Jewish people are going to, the tzaddikim, I should say, are going to sit in a circle around Hashem and point to the center and say, this is my Hashem. Being able to palpably, relatably connect and feel and see a godly type of event is a Torah experience. That is a Torah experience because it's not Torah. You know, we get in our minds wrapped up in the idea that what Torah is, is information and words. But the truth is what Torah is, is this vehicle of connection. And that's why, unfortunately, when Torah is not learned as a means of connection to Hashem, it's actually not a healthy experience. It's not a good experience. The, rabbi actually, the rabbis actually call this the, the, the poison of death, Sam Hamavis. Torah can either be a, and I should say, elixir of life, or it could be a poison of death. Because if it's a meaningful way to connect to Hashem, that's Torah. But if it's not a meaningful way to connect to Hashem, that's disembodied information, so to speak, disconnected information from Hashem, that's not Torah. And so therefore, I'm suggesting that the experience of the Red Sea 
made such an indelible impression upon the people that were there, the rabbis even tell us, that what a maidservant was able to see in prophecy at the Red Sea, the greatest esoteric prophet that we know of, Yechezkel ben Duzi, which details this thing that we call Ma'asei Merkava, which is the most Kabbalistic of the prophecies, you know, about the divine chariot of Hashem, the, the maidservant had a greater prophecy at the Red Sea than Yechezkel ben Buzi did in the most magnificent prophecy that we call the story or the event of the chariot of Hashem. So the appearance of Hashem at the Red Sea, where the Jewish people saw Hashem ish milchama, Hashem is a man of war that participates <coughs> on the side of the Jewish people in the vanquishing of evil, the destroying of Egypt, that firsthand experience is a Torah experience. Now, let me explain what that really means on a practical level. As we know, and we've discussed before, very often in life, things happen to us that seem to make no sense. And unfortunately, even worse than that, they seem like they're bad, and in no way can they somehow be good. But so often, as we've experienced, our negative experiences yield an incredible positive that we can honestly testify would have had that not happened, we would not have the good that we have today. That is just the way things unfold very often. And we all know that. And so what I'm suggesting is that the Shira was the Jewish people's firsthand recognition that all the pain and the travail of the exile of Egypt and all those hundreds of years of negative experiences manifested in an incredible fashion in, a, in enabling them to experience a revelation from Hashem in such an incredible, magnificent manner that the likes of which really almost nobody has ever experienced even since then. Again, the revelation of Sinai probably built on that. That was a way of teaching them that Hashem is truly involved in every single thing that happens in creation, and that is Torah. That's the suggestion that I have for today. So the Jewish people's recitation of the Shira, and don't forget that the Shira isn't just what the Torah is telling us Moshe said, it's the Torah telling us what Moshe and the Jewish people, the men and the women recited, and that demonstrates that they were able to perceive how Hashem actively participated and orchestrated everything in the Exodus story in order to help the Jewish people and indeed all of mankind to know that Hashem has designed creation to facilitate man's ability to perceive the infinite and to recognize this finite world as serving this purpose. And obviously, this is the exact opposite of idolatry and Egyptian ideology. Now, let me demonstrate this again even more practically with a story that I heard myself from Rav Yaakov Weinberg Satal about his brother, Rav Noach Weinberg. I was once sitting at Rav Yaakov Weinberg's table, and he turned to me and he said, I want to share with you a story about my brother, Rav Noach, and he was extremely proud of his brother. Rav Noach meets a man at the Kotel. And the man is obviously not dressed like a yeshiva bachar, whether it's earrings and tattoos, I don't know exactly. And Rav Noach says to this man, 
would you like to learn about God? Would you like to learn about Hashem? And the man looks at Rav Noach, he says, you're going to teach me about Hashem? Hashem and I are like this. And he puts his two fingers together. We are bonded like this. And Rav Noach says to him, what do you mean? He says, Rabbi, I was riding my motorcycle up a mountain and out of nowhere, an 18-wheeler came in the other direction and I had no choice. I had to take the motorcycle off the road. I went over the side of the mountain. The motorcycle fell all the way down, smashed into smithereens. I rolled down the side and I got up without a scratch. God and I are like this. To which Rav Noach said, oh, that's really interesting. But let me ask you a question. Who pushed you off the mountain? And so Rav Yaakov Weinberg was extremely impressed with that turning of the story into the real message. And what's the real message? Sure, God saved you, but God also put you in that predicament so that you could understand that you needed to be saved. And here's your opportunity to connect to him. And that's our big failing. Our big failing is that we stop seeing all the negative things in our lives as an opportunity and a challenge of ways to learn, literally to learn what we need to learn in order to connect to him. And that is Torah. What is Torah? To learn the information that we need to connect to him. That happens in a book form and that happens in life experience form. And the Shira is the strongest testimony to the Jewish people learning that lesson. Finally, of course, they had the assistance of incredible miracles and a literal revelation of Hashem as a man of war at the time of the splitting of the Red Sea. But that entire experience taught them the true palpable reality of Hashem being behind everything, orchestrating everything, but not only, hey, it's from Hashem, it's Hashem in order to connect man to Hashem. That is Torah. And so therefore, as soon as the Jewish people finished the splitting of the Red Sea, they were looking for that connection, but they didn't find it. Because instead of focusing on what is happening as a means to connect to Hashem, they were looking, hey, where is the top of the Himalayas? When am I going to experience a spiritual Zen? Um, they needed to look at the bitter waters as a test from Hashem, that there's a reason that Hashem is giving them this challenge. What, did, what do we need to learn? What do we need to improve? How do we need to evolve so that we get the lesson? But instead, they complained, and they only could focus on that which was bitter, to which Hashem says, listen, guys, you need to be able to perceive the voice of Hashem and understand what's behind everything that's happening in your life and understand all the different things that he asks you to do in order for you to not become Egypt. And that is the lesson of the Torah that the prophets instituted. Because the idea that the prophets, Moshe Rabbeinu and the prophets, their different languages, <coughs> instituted Torah reading on Mondays and Thursdays and Shabbos, that's not the obligation to study Torah. We're all, we have to study Torah. If we can learn Torah, we have to study Torah. It's the obligation of the community <coughs> to come together as a community and look to the Torah to help them understanding what the community is experiencing. 
Why does October 7th happen? Why do 21 soldiers fall in battle so tragically just two days ago? How does this happen? Why is this happening to us? But unfortunately, as the Torah describes, most people are just looking for a happy ending. They're not looking for what is the messaging from Hashem that we need to change, that we need to learn and actually change. And you know what? When we're looking just to have it easier, we get exhausted. The, the news is horrible. I'm, I'm not going to get political, but I know many people would like different options than just the two presidential candidates, right? So there's so much in the world going on, what there is to think about and to worry about what's happening in Israel, what's the plan, will it end, the war in Ukraine, and we get exhausted. But the Shira teaches us that what's really happening is for an ultimate unfolding that's going to be unbelievably inspiring and way to see how Hashem was involving himself actively in everything that went on. But only if we're asking ourselves, what is the message? But especially what is the communal message? What is the idea that we're supposed to be getting from everything that is happening? And I suggest that that is really the obligation to read the Torah on Mondays, Thursdays, and Shabbosos. And that's why it's a communal responsibility, not simply the obligation to, Torah, to study Torah. Because wherever we are in the world, we have to gather as a community. This is actually the secret of Jewish survival. Because Jews <coughs> always had to live together in order that on Shabbos they could daven together and read the Torah together. That is the reason that we are able to continue as a nation. But ultimately, we have to get that the message is whatever is happening to us as a community, whether it's in Miami, Miami Beach, or anywhere else in the world, the question is, what is happening now? How do we look at what is happening now as a means of enabling us to learn the lessons that Hashem is trying to teach us that we connect to Him? Because ultimately, that's what Torah means. Now, What's really amazing is when we put our collective mindset towards seeing and appreciating that our national experience is a developmental one and the development is towards infinity, <clears throat> towards this connection that we're talking about, we turn weariness into energy, depression into activity, and negativity into positivity but only if we're focusing on what are we meant to learn. <clears throat> so one of the things I'm suggesting is that immediately after the splitting of the Red Sea, the Torah that the prophets were instituting that the people should read was the Shira because they had just said those words. They had literally just said those words so they could repeat those words. And those words are tremendously uplifting and filled with the promises of the future of the Jewish people entering the land of Israel. That's all part of the Shira, as we mentioned before, that the nations of the world tremble, all the people were melting, and specifically that, that Hashem was going to bring the Jewish people and plant them in Eretz Yisrael, and Hashem yimloch le'olam va'ed. That is our ultimate refrain. And if we focus on that end, and that everything is leading to that, we can have tremendous positivity instead of negativity. And one of the ways that I'm trying to implement this uh, myself personally 
is really not only to focus on the positive, but to speak about the positive and to tell everyone in my life the honor and the privilege that I have in the way that Hashem has allowed me to have a relationship with them and all the incredible gifts that Hashem has bestowed upon me and upon so many people that I love and care for. If we speak about that, then we come to see the unfolding and the messaging that Hashem is trying to help us to see. Now, what's incredible about Amalek is this. Amalek specifically comes when we stop appreciating that the unfolding events of history are coming from Hashem. And that's a, an explicit Rashi uh, at the beginning of the parsha of Amalek, where he explains that the Jewish people just get finished saying, oh, is Hashem in our midst or not? Or not? And Amalek comes. So says Rashi, and this is uh, chapter 16, sentence 9, or sentence 8. This is a parable to a father who puts his son on his shoulders and he go out, they go out on the road. And <clears throat> on the road, whenever the child sees something that he wants, he says, hey, daddy, can you give me this? Can you get me that? Does that sound familiar? And the father gives it to him. And finally, at one point, the son sees a stranger and he says to the stranger, hey, have you seen my father? While he's on his father's shoulders. Hey, have you seen my father? And the father says, what? You don't realize that I'm, I'm carrying you? So the father puts him down and a dog comes and bites him. This is the story of Amalek and this is the story of anti-Semitism in Jewish history. When the Jewish people forget that the state of Israel is a miracle, the fact that the Jewish people have been able to reclaim their homeland after all these years is a miracle. And the fact that the Jewish people have prospered like no other uh, immigrant nation has ever prospered in history. And the fact that the Jewish people have so much good that has been built over the last eight decades. And the Jewish people forget that all of this is being granted by Hashem and it's giving the Jewish people specific opportunity and responsibility to build a better world and they don't recognize that responsibility, and they don't actively participate in building a better world, that's when the dog comes to bite them because Hashem put them down. Now, it's sad to say, but both before and after October 7th, there has been a decline in Jewish demographics in Eretz Israel, whether it's less children being born or people leaving Eretz Israel, there has been a decline. Of course, the horrible tragedy that we all know about is the fact that the Jewish population is abysmal according to what it should be in 80 years since the Holocaust. In 1939, there were 17.5 million Jews in the world. In 1945, there are 11.5 million Jews in the world. And here in the year 2024, there are 13.5 million Jewish people in the world. Not only have we not caught up, we're woefully behind pre-war Europe. That's just horrible. But what it really, what I'm trying to say, what it really underscores is not just the idea of assimilation, but what it underscores is that the Jewish people are not taking responsibility for all the gifts and all the opportunities that Hashem has gifted to us over these last 80 years. 
if we would be taking responsibility, we would be growing our Jewish populations. We would be appreciating the Torah and the messaging that Hashem has given to us by taking full responsibility to build and to promote Torah and all of the good that it can do, both for our Jewish people and for the world. And we have not done that. We have not done that as religious Jews. We have not done that as irreligious Jews. We have not done our job. And so the unprecedented opportunity that I believe we have today is the fact that now, more than any time in the last 80 years, the Jewish people are unified in a way that has not yet happened. Now, is the unification skin deep or is it getting deeper? Time will tell. But now is our opportunity to make it deeper. Now is our opportunity to really, truly reach out more to our fellow Jews, to encourage them to study Torah. I will tell you, if you have not encouraged a friend to come to this Torah class or a different Torah class, a friend that does not study Torah or much Torah, then you have not done your responsibility. It's just the, it's just the sad truth. Now, I'm not saying you haven't, right? Because I'm not speaking to any individual, but that is what needs to be done because the Jewish people are open to it now more than ever before. And that is the only answer. And that's what the rabbis are telling us here. We can't ignore the teachings of these rabbis. The rabbis don't say that the reason that Amalek came is because the Jewish people were, um, I don't know, looking at the wrong things, which is a common problem today. Or Amalek came because the Jewish people were speaking Lashon Hara. That's not what the rabbis say. The rabbis say, we became weary that we were not studying Torah, and then we weakened ourselves from the Torah study. So the panacea answer has to be more people connecting to Torah, but not only Torah as an academic study, but Torah as a means of understanding that through all the events of history, Hashem is messaging us and gifting us opportunities to come connect to Him. Even the challenges, even the bitterness, so to speak, is a way to come to know Him getting saved by Hashem from the side of a mountain where the motorcycle was smashed into pieces is also being pushed over the side by Hashem. It's a brilliant insight by Rav Noah Weinberg. And what I'm suggesting is that has to be the Jewish perspective on Jewish history to understand that it's all part of Hashem orchestrating us and connection to him, which is what Torah is really all about. And the reason I call this an unprecedented opportunity is because we have things that Jews have never had in thousands of years. I'm just going to read off to you a couple, but this will conclude, and then we will uh, take any questions or comments. Here's my list. The United States of America is still a country with moral and just laws, by and large, where Jews live with the same rights and freedoms as every other citizen on a governmental level. Number two, we Jewish people have our own sovereign state with an incredible military. And when I say incredible, I'm not even only talking about technologically, I'm talking about the level of devotion that our nation has, is demonstrating, and the perseverance is something unbelievable. <clears throat> Number three, we actually have the biblical land that was promised to us, not some other country like Uganda. Number four, Jews are blessed with tremendous, and I mean tremendous, national wealth, political connections, and platforms. 
Number five, there is widespread accessibility of vast Torah works in multiple languages and across numerous platforms. Number six, through modern technological advances, we Jews have the amazing ability to be practically connected with one another. Right? Who can't pick up a phone and call somebody in England, <clears throat> in Eretz Israel, and all over the world whenever they want? And even faster is a quick text message. It's literally unbelievable. Number seven, Klal Israel is reuniting now like never before in our modern history. So when you consider that all seven of these unprecedented realities are happening simultaneously right now, there's a very obvious conclusion we must recognize. If we take genuine responsibility and take real action, we can make a huge positive impact. And what I'm saying is that the lesson of the Parsha is if we don't recognize that, that strengthens Amalek's ability to attack. Why does Amalek not come immediately after the Red Sea? Because Hashem doesn't allow them to come. Hashem is giving the Jewish people time to internalize the lessons of the Red Sea and see if it will become part of their being. Even the prophets of that generation instituted Torah reading immediately, but it didn't work. The Jewish people still, with everything that they experienced, were still turning around saying, hey, by the way, guys, is Hashem here? Like, why do we have to wait so long to get an answer? That's what the Jewish people were saying. And then Amalek comes. It's like the father. It's like the, the, the son who says to the stranger on the road, hey, have you seen my father? While his father is carrying him on the shoulders. What do you think? Russia votes Israel into a state because Hashem is not helping us? Really? Doesn't happen. Doesn't work that way. And so we cannot keep doing the same things and expect that things will be different as we know. And the safety of our Jewish nation worldwide is at a major risk. And we have to really appreciate what the Chachamim are teaching us here and the solution. And very simply put, I'm saying that a way to, put, to get into the solution is to be very vocal just like the Shira is an expression of song, appreciating all the good, and gives us the opportunity to realize that the bad is also a messaging from Hashem. The more we do that in our lives, I believe the more energy we will have, the more positivity, and the more solutions we will find. Questions or comments? Hi. Thank you, Doctor. How are you? How are you? How are you? I'm good. I just wanted to share that um, I took a college course on the science of learning um, on a book called How We Learn by Benedict Carey that was later used. Say it by again. Say, say it again. How, um, we How We Learn by Benedict Carey. Um, and in it, it discusses the what is the best pattern of spacing out studying in order to increase memory retention and they found that it was every two to three days so when i realized that i was just blown away because our chachamim instituted that years ago i mean so, as rough wow. as she said so oh. um uh yeah so i just wanted to thank the rub this year and just share that if it's okay thank you it's a pleasure thank you thank you thank you for sharing that really appreciate it Great. Anyone else?
Rabbi, I just want to say thank you. Uh, I don't have a question. You've just, as always, given a lot of room for thought, um, possibly the paradigm shift that's necessary as opposed to seeing everything as the negative and half empty to start to position ourselves to seeing the positive again and the understanding of how to apply that. So uh, for that reason, especially, I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I should mention that uh, one of the points that uh, was uh, shared with me today is that a lot of the things that we do in Judaism is sort of a repetition because we need the constant reminder, um, including saying the Shira every day. We're supposed to say it with joy and, and, and a strong feeling of, of celebration, and it's supposed to be a tremendous merit. Um, but, uh, you know, we need the repetition. Hopefully, if we work on repeating things enough, it'll have the effect at the end that we need it to have. Anybody else with a question or comment? I actually did recall that I had a question, which yes. was, um, uh, Kal Yisrael has, um, like, we have a portion of Jews who have, have sort of swallowed the woke philosophy of, they, they just don't believe um, that there's even, like, even what happened on October 7th really even happened to the extent it did. Um, how, how can, like, we approach that perspective how do we how do we how can we reach those that have sort of learned torah and disembodied themselves from it well i, I think that's a very important question and i thank you for asking it my answer to the question is like this it is true that many jews have seemed to have gone off the deep end everybody loves to use the soros example as their primary one <laughs> our job so crazy <laughs> our job is not to um is not to try to change the minds of people right. that have chosen right. not to change uh, our job is to reach out mo our, our main job i want to say our main job is to reach out to those jews that simply don't know better have not have not for whatever reason taken advantage or been given opportunities earlier for authentic uh, torah learning that's a B, is that there are many Jews that even if they swallowed some false ideology, have woken up now to the fact that they have become a target when they never expected, and that has shifted uh, their ability to learn for the better. So those Jews that have taken current events as a message that, hey, you know what, I can't really align myself necessarily with all those groups that I thought I could, are the Jews that we really want to reach. And uh, listen, um, if those other Jews can change, you know, Hashem should help them to change. As, uh, you know, the Gemara teaches us, we don't wish for sinners. Hashem doesn't want sinners to be killed. He wishes them to change, and we can dive in for that. But that's not where we need to spend our, our time and energy. We need to spend our time and energy with people that, um, you know, hopefully have some openness. Thank you. Yes, Frida, question? Yeah, I agree, but I guess the question will be, I think somebody was raising their Akita, hand. Akita, why should the um, crossing be... I didn't hear you, Rhoda. Should the division of the Red Sea be have more shift? doesn't seem to be any more... Um, I didn't hear the whole question, but you're asking about why is the Red Sea the place oh. where the, they experience this? 
Yeah, why isn't the Ten Mandos in Egypt that they left Egypt? And they saw for a whole year almost yeah. all those horrible things happening to the Egyptians. Yeah, no, that's a very good question. My, my understanding is, is that the Ten Plagues make it clear <clears throat> that they're behind the scenes um, Hashem can do whatever Hashem wants, right? In other words, Hashem could move to the front and do whatever he wants because Hashem really could control, right? But it wasn't really a revelation of Hashem. They didn't experience the prophecy of the experiencing of Hashem, the connection to him, except for the plague of the firstborn, but that was uh, uh, also a little bit different. Whereas the Red Sea, they're actually able to say, this is my Hashem, right? Ask, ask the in well, other words, the, oh. okay, let me ask you the question this way. Why didn't they see Mashira in 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 the in Mitzrayim? Right? Yeah, I hear you. Okay, good. Right. So it so seems to me as monumental though as the Red Sea. You know. And that's a it's a good point, but it's not as monumental because A, uh the Egyptians were not yet vanquished, right? They hadn't uh proven that Egypt is gonna fall. And B, because Hashem as literally a revelation, you know, it's hard for us to imagine what a revelation is, but they, they didn't have the same spiritual experience, right? Things were happening, but it wasn't like the prophecy that happened at the Red Sea. Now, I'm sure there's more I to just it want to say that, also, but I think that's the beginning. What's that? Uh, I, I just want to say that Rabbi Miller speaks all the time about what you said, are we learning our lesson um, of what's going on? And Rabbi Miller said the same thing about, about the hall. Holocaust? Did people understand the background of what? And you know, did they change? Did they improve from, you know, or just say this is a horrible happening? You know, he said the exact same thing many, many times on his tapes that you said today. Yeah. So there um, you're in good company, Akiva. Okay. Yeah, no, that's good. But unfortunately, our responsibility today is even greater because look at all the good we experienced since then as a nation it's, it's something incredibly remarkable and to still not to learn the lesson with all the good is like when a parent continues to give the child every privilege in the book and instead of them becoming more appreciative they become more entitled and more belligerent and more you know oppositional it's terrible rabbi yes thank you thank you um you said our main job is to reach uh reach out but uh as a people that have family and uh, blood rel relatives who are with us that need reaching out to, um, you know what? It's not all that easy to not focus in as opposed to only focus out. And um, again, I'm just putting that on the table because it, it, it it's good for the community, but what about our own families? Oh yeah, I, pardon me. Obviously it starts with family just like charity. Okay. I, I just, you know, that would be the hierarchy. I wasn't there, yeah. but it start in here as well, you know? So yeah, it starts with oneself and then, you know, branching outward, outwards, never concentric circles. Yes. Mrs. Kanoff, please. Oh, and then Daphne. Yeah. All right. I, I don't, I haven't formulated a specific question as much as sort of a thought that's sort of taking place whereby um, the very intelligent and poignant questions being asked about people that have are being left behind, the woke people, the people that haven't made the connection. And it seems that there 
in my brain, there is a parallel that um, the large percentage of people that didn't leave Egypt that were um, that were killed during the the, the Maka of Koshech. Yes, there's sort of a parallel with that with the people that unfortunately, in you know, if you speak to my father, it's all the tzaddikim that didn't make out of the Holocaust, and now we have a a bunch of people that, and it's so poignant and painful when it's their family members when um, that are not getting the message. And, um, and, and, and then as a mother, you know, we're, you, you know, there's, they're always saying that the mother is more Rachamim in my family, not necessarily so, but like the spoonful of sugar that makes the medicine go down I'm, so like I'm, I'm sort of like there's like a diaphanous, amorphous thing that's going in my brain. Like, how do we get the proportions better instead yeah, of no, 80? That, that, that is a pointed question. You know, how can we do better than twenty uh, percent? I think, right? Yeah. 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 So the good news is that we have many things that help us to do a lot better. The bad news is that we have to do many things in order to take advantage of those things. So what are some of the things that give us the opportunity to do better? Something that we all know about, it's called the Shabbos table. Okay. Another thing that we all know about, it's called experiencing Eretz Yisrael. Another thing that we all know about, it's called the march, right? Experiencing the camps in Europe. Now, the reason that all those things um, exist is because we became a nation we were given the Torah and we were given Eretz Yisrael. So we have a tremendous advantage over the, let's call it Moshe and Aharon's of Egypt, right? Where we have very specific things to point towards that tell us what will happen if we don't change, what our responsibility is our people, also what the beauty is of the Torah and the various commandments. The problem is that we need to be doing that work. And what's unfortunately happened is that whether it's the religious community or the irreligious, I'm talking about Jewish communities, we tend to not take enough responsibility to do enough. And we tend to retreat into our own problems. And what will help us much more is to do much more, to help other people, to take responsibility, to become much more ourselves, right? Become much more leaders rather than followers, et cetera. We can, we really can, and we really need to. And if we do, I believe we'll be happier and we will definitely improve the percentages by a lot. Okay, thank you. Sure. Daphna. On mute, Daphna, you're on, you're on mute. Okay. I think I'm not on mute anymore. Correct. So great class. And I'm, I'm always listening. And if I don't make it, I, I get the recording. And thank you. I haven't spoken in a while here. Um, and I'm doing the best in my corner of the world. We appreciate um, that. <laughs> even, even the things we know, if we can go back to, you know, the, the parent uh, having the child and then the, the child not even realizing that they were being carried. And so many of us are me, you know, great enabler. 
it's not easy to get out of that corner. And once you, I mean, it, I don't, I'm not sure it can be taken in small steps. Um, maybe it does have to be, and I'm having this realization myself now, you have to drive off of the mountain. It has to be something so um, uh, th that shakes everything up because uh, trying in little ways does not seem to work. So I just would like to know your reaction to that. And um, I don't know. I appreciate that. It's, the it's not easy. It's not easy, not easy, Rabbi. I mean, we can say it and we can say, yes, and that I got myself into this position, but understanding it and and getting out of it are, you know, two different things. Yeah. Um, so I agree with you that it's not easy, and it's a, it's a very um, emotional and instinctive type of a question. So I'm going to give you a bit of an emotional and instinctive kind of response. My feeling is that it is really hard. Uh, in today's society to help our children understand the gravity of certain choices and uh, how much better their life can be with better choices and worse with worse choices, right? Children always think that they, you know, seem to think that they know better, you know, that the parents don't know, that the teachers don't know, that maybe the Torah doesn't know. And my, my response to that is that as long as we do all of our teaching with love, in my opinion, what will happen is that the children will make smaller mistakes rather than bigger mistakes. And the smaller mistakes will be enough to teach them not to make the bigger mistakes. Now, I'm not saying in every situation, right? But I do think that what really helps is not that they listen to us, but that because they know the love, they're able to look back to the messaging instead of rejecting it to say, oh, maybe there's more to that than I realized. And that I think does help prevent even bigger mistakes. Um, but again, you know, I'm not saying it's a given and in every situation, but I do think that that really helps a lot. As long as the messaging is, I'm not trying to tell you what to do, I'm trying to help you help yourself. And then you decide because it's your life. And I love you. Very good advice. And and probably even harder than driving off of a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Okay, thank you. Thank you all. I wish everyone a great day, a great week. I look forward to seeing everyone next week.